Hi, I'm Matthew Moore, producer of Undisciplined, and today we bring you the final live recording of the podcast. From Art Ventures in Fayetteville, we bring you rice of all kinds. As our host, Dr. Cree Banton, likes to say, let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining us this evening or other two episodes. The first one looking at black erasure in Northwest Arkansas and our second one uh, that just went on Wednesday looked at food insecurity in Northwest Arkansas. So be on the lookout and on the listen out for those on KUAF NPR. Uh, We are bringing those to you uh, via KUAF NPR and via our our wherever podcasts are available for free, Spotify and so on. Now, our third installment uh, looks at something which, you know, I am very fond of. I'm very fond of and I'm sure you are too. That's why you're here. I know you all are here to look at art, you know, but... You know, cook the food and they'll come, (laughs) you know. Uh, So I'm very happy for you to be here to look at African foodways and particularly how that manifests through rice. You know, a lot of us might know the connections between Africa and chocolate, right? Uh, We know that African cocoa beans are responsible for the majority of chocolate produced on the world stage. So Côte d'Ivoire and Ghana are two of the largest producers of cocoa. Perhaps what is less known though is how Africans contributed to all these cuisines we enjoy around rice. So the transatlantic slave trade uh, was a central pathway for the introduction of African crops alongside lifestyle, alongside all other kinds of botanicals, as well as African cultural approaches to using them, right? So bringing plants to the new world, what historians commonly refer to as the Columbian exchange, Right, So during that period of the transatlantic slave trade, the Atlantic world, we exchange ideas, we exchange bodies, human beings circulating, we exchange diseases, but we also exchange crops, right? Food crops, um, you know, if it wasn't for Africa, we wouldn't have gumbo. So big ups to Africa. So uh, African food crops, you know, ranging from um, sorghum to millet to uh, okra, you know, created this kind of botanical heritage in the Americas, right? And formed, uh, you know, the foundation of an experimental tradition that enabled not only enslaved Africans to confront a radically changed world that cared little about whether they lived or died, but created a culture that would survive on for a very long time in which we can partake today. Judith Carney wrote a book that I'm going to reference uh, a lot tonight called Black Rice. Right? Rice is white. (laughs) but when you think about its history you will see that it's black and this is Judith Carney's argument 
right? She she notes that rice in the Americas were grown thanks not only to the bodies of enslaved Africans, but the genius and expertise of Africans. Africans were not just only sought to come and labor using their bodies, but Africans were sought specifically for their expertise. If you read in a history book and you see Gold Coast, it's not an accident. It's because they found gold there, right? Slave Coast, it was because of slave trade. Grain Coast was because they knew that's where the expertise around grains were, and slavers specifically recruited and enslaved Africans who had that expertise in grains to come to places like the Carolinas to grow rice, right? So that is Judith Carney's uh, uh, argument as she explored this history of rice, right? It wasn't the master's expertise and technological investments, um, but it was from the slaves, their expertise and their labor right, that um, black rice emerged as not only uh, a, a cuisine, but a story of reappropriation and repossession and, and, and this kind of shift in ownership, right? Not only does it carry that botanical heritage, as we might know, Africans carried the seeds in their hair and in other kinds of vessels to the new world, which they would plant to create this kind of a botanical genealogy, Right, um, introducing these seeds into the eastern and you know western hemisphere, right? But it was grown in all of these different kinds of environments in um, the New World, ranging from Jamaica to Cuba to Brazil uh, to South Carolina and so on. So rice grew in this part of the hemisphere because of slaves and the physical continuity of rice. Um, um, you know, was largely because of enslaved Africans, how they prepared the land, how they selected seeds, how they constructed canals and trunks for irrigation, how they planted and tended the fields um, despite the harsh climatic con uh, condition and how they continued to use their agency um, uh, in, in, in the propagation of rice. So African agency was uh, a, a, a large result of what we now see as this heritage of rice in the new world. And if we now turn to Arkansas, did you guys know that Arkansas is the largest producer of rice in America? Yes, Arkansas is the largest producer of rice in America. And think about all the ways that you might use rice, not only the rice that you're currently eating, but what else is rice involved in, right? In your hair, <laughs> right? So, and the story of um, Arkansas rice is directly connected to Africans as well, who brought that South Carolina rice, that Carolina gold rice that was linked to Africans moving from the Green Coast, from Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea into the Carolinas. Um, you know, that was brought by a black family who moved into Arkansas and grew their own rice and sold rice seeds and became the, the foundation of what is now a powerhouse industry in this great state of Arkansas. Give it up for the rice farmers in Arkansas. So I want to talk a little bit about someone who knows about how Arkansas rice is proliferating around the globe, 
<laughs> today, <laughs> today we're going to be talking to somebody uh, at the World Trade Center who oversees Arkansas um, cultivation, you know, uh, cultivators of rice and see to it that it makes its way around the world, right? And so uh, the first uh, guest on the Undisciplined podcast will be Denise Thomas, the director, uh, the, the CEO of the World Trade Center. Uh, make some noise for Denise Thomas. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so I've been with the World Trade Center for 15 years. So 15 years we've been working with the movement of stuff. <laughs> I say I am a professional stuff mover. I move things all over the world, and it's a lot of fun, and I really enjoy it. Um, but today we're going to hear to talk a bit about rice. Right. So I'm going to give you some stats and facts up front, right. and then we can have a little general conversation about what we do here um, within the state to move products in general. So Arkansas exports about $722 million in rice exports. Um, it is the number one export within agriculture It um, in a $3.1 billion industry for our state is agricultural exports. And $722 million of that is from rice. Based on what the Farm Bureau has put out, I'm going to give you some stats, which I thought were kind of staggering a little bit when you think about it. Um, each year, Arkansas farmers plant 1.3 million acres of rice. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of I mean, rice. When you think about it, you almost think that that's the entire state, right? Right. <laughs> and it's just a small part of it when you look at numbers like that. The other thing that I thought was really interesting is that Arkansas farmers produce more than 9 billion pounds of rice, not million, billion with a B. Wow. So that's a lot of food opportunity for humans, but also in our world for pets, Wow. for cattle, livestock. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it ends up in so many different things. It ends up in your cereal that we eat all the time. Thank you, Post and Kellogg's, right? <laughs> um, the other thing that I'd like to add is in 2015, Arkansas farmers produced 207 million bushels of rice on 1.286 million acres. Oh, wow. So when you think about that, that's a lot of food that we can share with each other. And one of the things that we talked about, I had a conversation with someone today, was about Arkansas's food insecurity. Mm -hmm. And with us producing that much rice, what can we do to kind of start working towards that? And I, I'd like to think that, you know, our legislators and our government officials are really trying to figure that out. Right. So that's something I think is a plus for us. Right. Um, the other statistic, which is my last one, and my eyes are going crazy here. Um, Arkansas was the top producer of rice in the United States. And about 80.34 million um, weight of rice was exported in, well, was produced in 2022. Oh, wow. So that's a lot of food. Oh, wow. So when you think about rice, rice comes in many forms. There's many species of rice. The thing that I think is really interesting is when you get to visit a rice mill and you see what really is happening, you end up with rice bran, which is basically the dust that comes from the rice, which is a food product that goes into pet food or can be used in other things. You get rice 
oil, which you don't even think, but that comes from rice as well, which ends up in pet food and can end up in beauty we products. We get rice and, juice, which yeah, black people yeah, use to wash hair. their hair. <laughs> yeah. So there's all kinds of things that come from rice. So literally everything that the rice itself produces can be used for something. Now I'm learning that rice straw can be used for more than just chicken feed or going into a chicken house because the husk goes into the chicken houses and is used also for for um, for waste from the chickens. It's also put into food products for cattle. And then the, sh- the grass that comes from it can now be used as a form of fuel or for other things as well. Wow. So rice in its concept from beginning to end the supply chain, every piece of it can be used for something. Very dynamic product. Yeah. Very dynamic. So I'm wondering about, you know, how much of Arkansas rice, would you know how much of that is feed in, say, other states like Texas? Um, well, Texas has its own rice production, but it's minimal. I mean, okay. we still produce the, the most. You have Louisiana, Mississippi has rice, and um, my notes here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas does minuscule. I mean, we really are the powerhouse when it comes to rice. So what are some of the companies in Arkansas that are involved in rice production or? Riceland is the largest producer, but they have a co-op. That's the word I'm looking Mm -hmm. for. The word escaped me. That's a cooperative. So there's many rice farmers farmers. that go into Riceland. And then you also have producers rice, which does very similar, the similar thing as a cooperative that with rice farmers and works with them. And then there's several other companies from there that are varying in sizes that are here within the state. We are able to move so much food and so much rice because Um, The state is really designed and has worked really hard. You have organizations like the Farm Bureau, the Rice Associations, your AEDC offices, your governor's offices, your legislators in the federal level. Everybody works to help move the products that we have here and rice being one of them. Okay. So internationally, uh, where does Arkansas rice end up mostly? Oh, now that is a good question. Right. Statistically, we sell more product across the board to Canada and Mexico. Whenever you have trade, oh, you're NAFTA always going to move. Yep, you're always going to move to your neighbors first. So rice is always going to follow that same pattern, and then it's going to go on from there. Now we do have a rice producer that's now moving stuff into Japan and selling rice specifically to Japanese market. Um, you have a few people that are selling into the China market, which is very small. It's a small number of people, but that's something that's happening. But those are anomalies, not necessarily the norm. Canada and Mexico are always going to be your top. Okay. What about Africa and Arkansas? Two A's, double A. So Africa and Arkansas is going to vary a little bit and it's going to be trickles. It's not going to be a whole lot. Um, That's something that we're actually looking at and I'm having a conversation in Montreal in a couple of weeks about that very thing because I do think that there's opportunities for us to export more rice into Africa and to the continent. The challenge is that Arkansas or American rice in general is expensive. We cost more. So African countries tend to get rice from countries that have um, a reduced cost to produce the product or the food, just like anything else. So they buy a lot from all from Asia. It's also logistically easier for them to get the product in and out. So U.S. rice doesn't make it in as much as we'd like to see, but we do know that we're exporting into Cote d'Ivoire. I know we've exported some into Ghana since I've been at the World Trade Center. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So does African rice make its way back? Not that I know of. And if I do, 
I don't see the numbers. (laughs) So if it is moving here, I don't see the numbers for that. So it's not enough. So statistically it's a numbers game. So we, they can report the, the things that we look at the census that we use the databases that we use to get the information. It has to be a threshold. And if it doesn't meet the threshold, we won't see it. So when you mentioned earlier about legislatures, and I know that they recently had the convening of African heads of states um, at uh, the White House, uh, was rice being discussed? Is that a part of the I'm gonna partnership? I'm going to go with yes, it was, because it's a part of food security, but I wasn't at the meeting, so I can't speak to that specifically. But what I will tell you is that when we go to the United Nations and we have conversations with different government officials across the board, rice is a staple for everybody. And rice is something that everyone can understand. What's interesting is that different markets will only resonate with specific types of rice or the way that the rice is processed. Right. So most African countries want parboiled rice. Oh. Our rice is something that's, it's a process that's done and it's basically, it's milled differently and it's not parboiled, which means partially cooked. Right. So different markets want different types of rice. So you have to get the market prepared for the type of rice or the species of rice that you have because you have all these different, you know, aromatic rices and then you have brown rice, white rice, long grain, short grain, and all the stuff in between. So each market has a culturally affinity towards a specific type of product. Okay. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Well, don't call any names, but I know that there was some plastic rice in Africa Yes. You know, some time ago. Yes, so and that was a problem. Send and me a note because <laughs> I'd like to know. <laughs> yeah, it was a problem. Yes, yeah. many people, you know, were harmed by it. But uh, uh, thank you so very much. Thank you for uh, having this me. This was very informative. Thank, thank you. you so much, Denise. Wonderful. You're listening to a podcast produced by KUAF, your public radio station for more than three decades. Hello, I'm Timothy Dennis. KUAF's on-air programming features the latest news from NPR, with shows like All Things Considered, 1A, and Here and Now, locally hosted music programs on the weekend that you won't find online, local newscasts every weekday morning at 5.30 and 7.30, updates on events happening throughout the KUAF listening area, and more. To listen, tune your radio to 91.3 FM, visit our website, KUAF.com, or tell your smart speaker to play KUAF. So now we're going to move to rice cuisines, right? And looking at African-American and African and Caribbean and Afro-Latina and all the ways in which rice circulates throughout Africa and the African diaspora. But let's talk generally about how black people have influenced uh, food cultures, not only in the United States, but across the world, right? How many of you know the names Hercules and Hammonds? If you watch that uh, Netflix documentary, High on the Hog, you may have heard of Hercules and Hammonds, who are long connected to uh, two prominent um, founding fathers in the United States. So these two uh, long connections to presidents and their African-American cooks tells us something about how food really gives us a, a, a syn- 
synthesis of history and the melding of culture as it was experienced during the time of slavery. Now, Hercules was uh, one of George Washington's slaves. He came to Mount Vernon as a chef and later on um, to the nation's capital in Philadelphia, right? And uh, Hemmings, as you know, Sally Hemmings was uh, 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 Thomas Jefferson's uh, mistress. Uh, her brother was his chef, uh, was uh, Thomas Jefferson's chef, who traveled with him to Paris, learning things like how to make mac and cheese, right? How to make that kind of a cuisine, you know, and brought it back to the United States so that we can argue about what our favorite sides are on Thanksgiving, right? Isn't that fascinating? So James Hammonds and Hercules Posey are the country's two first celebrity chefs in America, the enslaved property of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, responsible for bringing us all these recipes. You guys thought it was Martha Washington? Come on. She was not pushing fire. She was not <laughs> going to get and burned with no cast iron oven. Okay. Now, um, so in my, uh, um, one of my favorite documentary, High on the Hog, um, in one of the stories about this culinary journey from Africa to America, um, Jessica B. Harris, who is the food historian as well as a cookbook author, she takes a trip with her mother to a place near New Orleans. And it's one of the former plantation along the Louisiana River Road. And the estate, of course, has this very cruel history. And Harris, of course, an African-American, speculates aloud that much of the place was built by slaves, like much of America, right? And this draws a response um, about um, the artistry of the place from her mother, right? Who says what beauty they created for people who thought we were nothing but goods, not even human beings, right? So this observation, right, um, you know, kind of tells us a lot. Uh, it, it's a kind of connecting thread and is at the very center, if you think about it. Something in African-American culture that comes to be called soul food, what does that evoke? The beauty and the artistry that went from people who were suffering a cruel fate to bring such an impressive cuisine that would last to present day, right? So if we look um, from the south, um, from all the way from the Carolinas, to from Creole to Cajun, um, to all the flavors that black people brought to dishes in America, in restaurants, right, all across the world. Um, it tells us really the story of, of African-American uh, and, and African diaspora cuisine. The gumbo, which I mentioned earlier, the melting pot of uh, not only Louisiana cooking, but of African diaspora cooking, right, um, because... Go Gumbo comes from okra, which is from Africa. And it was a thickener for all soups, which across the diaspora, you can find in many culture. In Jamaica, the one pot, you know, uh, for instance. And so uh, I want to talk about 
this rice that connects all of us here uh, today in different ways, but finding itself in different kinds of expressive form. So uh, we have three students here from the University of Arkansas of different backgrounds, and I'd want them to introduce themselves, telling us a little bit about who they are and where they're from. We'll start at the end. Hi, everyone. My name is Khadija. I am a student at the UVA, um, and I'm from the Bahamas. So my name is Sharita. I'm also a student at the U of A, and I am from Little Rock, Arkansas. Hi, I'm Alfred Nuff. I'm from Ghana, and I study agriculture, agriculture economics. Thank you all so very much. So can you all tell me about your experience growing up eating rice? What was that like? Can you start, Kadisha? Yeah, so rice is, um, in my culture, I would say, it's like one of the main dishes on, on like on any meal, pretty much. Like, but especially Sunday Sunday dinners, right? Like, you gotta have rice and several different meats. What What happens if you don't have rice? Then it's like you you don't have. Like, you missing something. You know what I mean? It's like you missing the... It's like how I hear, like, when I moved to the Midwest, like, I hear people always talk about being, like, meat and potato type of people. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the potato is our equivalent to the rice. You know okay. what I mean? It's like the substance of it. Uh. You know? So it's like things you... The rice is, the, is one of the mains, and you, depending on which rice, you can decide what sides you have. So, like, if it's white rice... You likely to probably do coleslaw with it. If it's corn and rice or peas and rice or maybe bean and rice, you probably can do some potato salad or you might do crab salad or you you just it, you can jazz it up depending on which rice it is and probably what type of meat you cook too. So as a fellow Caribbean person, I can agree with that too. Like on Sundays, it definitely rice and something. But if you didn't have rice, it meant that you were poor. Like, if you were to eat ground provision, right? And ground provision in the Caribbean mean yams and African-Americans. I'm not talking about sweet potatoes. <laughs> I'm talking about African yam, right? Yellow yam or, or another kind of yam. But if you were to have ground provisioned or dumplings, not chicken and dumplings also, <laughs> dumplings made with flour dough, uh, or, you know, something else other than rice and peas and chicken, which was one of the dishes we're having today, then it meant that you had slipped to a station in life that probably, you know, was not in, you know, we're, Jamaica is a British classist society and food is one of the way in which class is expressed. So if you didn't have rice, something was happening to you. On a Sunday. Yeah, yes. no, I, I agree. And I think, too, like, you were talking about the types of rice. Like, um, it really gets, you, you You could go to war with some family members if you cook parboil rice and your family ain't a parboil family. So you really got to know your, <laughs> got to know your audience. <laughs> Wonderful. Sharita, what about you? Your experience growing up with rice. Um, well, I think it's the same for me for Sundays. There, it was always a rice day. But it would start in the morning for us. We would have um, 
sweet rice. And I tried to explain this to Terius, and he was like, I've never heard of this before. This isn't a southern thing. Yes, yes it is. So it's just rice with a little bit of butter and then a whole lot of sugar. At least for kids, you put a lot of sugar. Um, and it was just like, you know, not as sweet, I guess, as, as grits or something like that, but it was more, um, I, I don't know, like easier no, what, for, for kids to, to play in, I guess. I, I understand what you mean, because we have like a rice porridge. We have a rice porridge in the Caribbean, and I think the Indians also have a rice dessert. If you ever go to a restaurant, uh, Indian restaurant, and you get the rice desserts with the Sticky little and raisins the and the little um, nuts in it. Oh, fire. Yeah. Fire. <laughs> but they put um, condensed milk in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that's probably similar to what you're talking about. So we would have that rice porridge that is boiled in maybe coconut milk or um, another form of milk with nutmeg and cinnamon and all of those spices and then sweetened vanilla and sweetened. And perhaps that's the African-American version of that in the morning. So in the evening, what's the rice like? Oh, geez. Okay, so... Um, rice really is like the, the side item. Um, I know my mom will say, you know, if there's no bread in the meal, then she didn't really eat. But also, if there's no bread, then if you, there's no rice, you know. Sometimes they'll double it up. You have to, ha you have, to have some rice or like a potato or, or a piece of bread to really tie the meal together because it kind of stops up all of the other flavors. And so it's like you, it's the best way to help you finish your entire plate. Okay. What about you, Alfred? In Ghana, it's a little bit different. It's more a staple for the middle class and up because most people outside Accra would say they are more into the local foods, which is soup, the soup and the fufu and stuff. But the working class, should, most of the Ghanaian meals, it takes a lot of time to cook. So if you are part of the working class, you have to go back to rice because if you have a rice cooker or a pot, you just put it in and do something else. But if you want to cook fufu, which is from cassava, it will take you like four hours. But and all right. that pounding <laughs> yes. and all that. So, so someone like my mom, someone like my mom, she she's the she's a rice lover because it's convenient for her. So she doesn't have four hours to wait every day. So sometimes she she's. Maybe when she's doing something for you, she puts the rice in the rice cooker, that's it, comes back and gets it. But talking someone outside Accra, like if your grandma is outside Accra and she comes to visit you and you give her rice and someone else comes, she can tell the person that since she came home, you've not fed her. <laughs> <laughs> because, because like outside Accra, outside the big cities, rice is not their go-to meal. Like. It's maybe for lunch, but for supper and breakfast. But for us, like when you have to go to school early, yes, like rice porridge, we make rice porridge. We make rice and stew for lunch and jollof. And so we have a lot of sauces you can eat with rice. So it can be just plain rice, but you have like soup sauces, like that's the diversity. So you can eat rice like 14 times in a week, but... <laughs> But you are not eating the same rice because it can be rice with oil, rice with um, shito. shito, rice with and the shito it can rice with kontumi, rice with soup, right? And the soup it can Watch be pan oil. Oh, yeah, so uh -huh. you can 
that you can eat rice three times a day, but it's totally three different dishes, and that makes it like special. That makes it diverse enough for you to eat. Yeah. Okay, so I'll start over here now. Did you grow up learning to cook rice? Definitely. <laughs> my it's not a gendered. It's not a gendered activity. So, so back to my mom. My mom. <laughs> my mom. It's. She was a busy woman, so she when she gets home, she grabs the one she sees first to help in the kitchen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there is no female, there is no male. The person she sees is the person helping her. And she, she doesn't discriminate. You used I, to try to hide, huh? <laughs> yeah, but you get tired of hiding and so, <laughs> so you get used to it. Yeah. So like for Fufu, Mostly it's men who pound it like in Ghana and one time someone visited and my mom was doing it and the person was complaining that why am I not pounding it? She was like, I'm doing my part because I'm helping with the soup or something. So like she wasn't so, you definitely, and she's the one that by the time you were eight or seven, when she goes out and comes, she's not the type who is coming to cook. She expects to come and meet food in the house. So like... We see people who will be sitting down waiting for their moms to come to cook. But my mom comes and if she sees that you've not cooked, that means you are not hungry. So she'll cook something small <laughs> and eat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Sharita? When did you start cooking rice? What, when did rice enter your maturation pro- you know, process of uh, maturity? I don't know. Um, well, I've always known how to cook rice. Um, I don't have a rice cooker. Um, I oh, probably should invest in my one. diver over here. And I really should invest because different rices, you cook them different ways. And so, like, if you cook it wrong, thinking that it's a different type of rice, you, you know, you're... So in Jamaica, uh, and sorry, that's where I'm from, so I'll have to keep referencing that. But men will say... You're not fit to be a wife unless you can cook rice and cook rice well, right? And so cooking rice well, I know that means different things in different cultures. In Jamaica, we don't cook rice soft. So if it looks like a rice porridge, you're going back home to your parents. (laughs) (laughs) But if you can cook rice and you can put your... uh, um, your aluminum foil on top and then watch it swell. And then we have this something in our culture that says, does your hand swell rice? Meaning if you wash the rice and the rice swells up and you can get a lot more rice than what was put in the pot, then you're a good rice cooker. But if if your hand's not a good rice, well, please don't come near near to the pot. So those are the standards, and that figures into you know the consciousness of 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 Jamaicans where rice is concerned. What about you, Kadisha? What about the Bahamians? Well, I think the Bahamians are very similar to the Jamaicans <laughs> in that sense. Oh dear! Like you, <laughs> and, and yeah, like you have to at least know how to cook white rice, right? <laughs> like you have to. That's the basics. That's the basics. But I don't know. I think probably I don't know when I I don't know when I officially learned to cook rice. I know I was always in the kitchen watching my mommy so I could like pick up on things because I always loved the way she cooked her corn and rice. And so I always knew that I wanted to be able to cook that one day. And that's probably like the best rice that I can cook is corn and rice. 
Um, because because I don't I, I moved away from home when I was twenty. It's been like eight years now, and I think it's just one of those things that just kind of keeps me tethered to some aspect of my culture that just feels like home, you know. So today we have you have three different kinds of rice in your plate, right? You have jollof rice, right? And you all might know jollof rice as oh dear, I'm sitting next to a Ghanaian. Ah. Jollof coming from Wolof, right? Senegal, right? But the Ghanaians and the Nigerians for some reason have gone to blows over who makes the best jollof. I mean, the UN has intervened <laughs> between them. And I'm sure I'll lose some friends when they heard that, my friend, I beg, don't, it's okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm just telling my Nigerian friend over here to still, you know, come to the program. It's okay. It doesn't mean that I love Alfred more. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, so uh, generally associated with West Africa, you know, from uh, Senegal to Nigeria to Ghana to Liberia, all of those West African states. And then we also have red beans and rice with a little sausage inside, known amongst African-Americans. And then we have rice and peas, uh, which is a Caribbean rice known mostly uh, among Jamaicans and other Caribbean and, and American cultures. So I want to ask you guys to kind of try, first of all, try the jollof rice. <laughs> Try the jollof rice. Okay. Is it spicy? It's not spicy? So, uh, not for Alfred, because he grew up <laughs> eating jollof rice. For, the, for, for Sharita and, um, uh, and Kadisha, when was the first time you tried jollof rice? And what did you think of it? My first time was um, when I was in Texas for undergrad and I had a friend from Ghana prepare it for me. <laughs> and I mean, it was very similar to some of the ways that we prepare our rice back home. Right. So it was, it had a, like a sense of familiarity for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but it had much more flavor and character, I would say, yeah. than rices that I, I was used to mm -hmm. growing up on. I like that flavor and character because <laughs> that that's the best way to body. describe it. Yeah, it has a fuller body of yeah. Body, yada, yada, yeah. <laughs> I think the first time I had jollof was maybe 2018, 2019. Um, it was at I think an event for uh, the International Students and Scholars Office. Um, I think Alfred. Was it the Nigeria day? No, it was no, it was it was it was Ghanaian. It was Ghanaian um, jollof rice, and Alfred was there. He witnessed me take my first bites, and I was just like, <laughs> "It's like, so what do you think?" What? I mean, it's unlike I would say unlike anything I have in African American culture, where you just have rice as the main part of the dish with um, the toppings, I guess, depending on which countryman. Cooks it, um, <laughs> but I it's I would describe it as a full and like a lot of character and a lot of flavor. So Alfred, you've actually made jollof rice for me before. How do you make your jollof rice? 
you know, like inquiring minds want to know, Alfred. Yeah, give them the recipe. You know, so back home we like we don't, <laughs> they say we cook with our sisters in your mind because <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> Alfred, Alfred, I beg, Charlie. <laughs> Don't tell me this ancestors say to pour until they say to stop. Yes, so <laughs> you have to listen to the ancestors when they say stop. I'm gonna need black people to start writing things down. Alfred, give me the first. You wash the rice. You blend the tomatoes and the peppers. What else, Alfred? So, okay, so <laughs> the ancestors are talking to <laughs> So, you so we use um, we usually get a blend of ginger, onion, pepper, and, and garlic, and you blend it and you get something like a green paste and you add it to hot oil, then you add your tomato paste, and that's where so. I'm supposed to say you make it cook for five minutes or ten minutes, but you make it cook. So <laughs> <laughs> you think it's cooked, then when it's cooked, you add a little pepper, a spice. And so for me, I like to add my spices last, so at the end, but some people add it to the sauce, but then when there's, like I add the pepper to it and make it cook for a while, then I add the rice, and it depends on how you like your rice. I like really hard rice, so I usually don't add water, but you can add, normally you can do one cup of sauce to one cup of rice to one cup of water. But because I like my rice a little hard, I just do one cup of sauce to one cup of water. Then you can either cook it in the pot or put it in the oven to cook. So you make it cook for a while, then you add whatever you want to add, whether um, chicken, vegetables and everything. So back to me too, I like my vegetables a little crispy. So I wait till the end when it's cooked, then I just put it in and put it in the oven for like a minute or two, just for the heat, then take it out and that's it. That's it, thank you. Thank you, give it up for Alfred and his jollof recipe. And he cooks good jollof rice, so if you guys want an event, holla at your boy. <laughs> so how about we take a taste of the rice and peas now when I hear that it has oxtail gravy on it. No oxtail, just oxtail gravy. All right. Alfred, do you remember the first time you had rice and peas? Oh, you had, don't tell me about wache because I know them Jamaicans that came from you know, the Coromantes that became Maroons in Jamaica probably made that rice and peas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so I think the first time I had rice and peas, it was Emmanuel made it for me, and we had an argument that it's not rice and peas, it's <laughs> rice and beans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. it's going to be one of those plantains, plantains. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we had a long argument. But yeah, it, it, it's closer to Wache. There's that Wache has more flavor and character yes and i'm gonna put you guys out <laughs> yeah and so like yeah it looks it's close to watch it but just that watch it has so many things you have to add to to eat it yeah. but that's what it reminds me of of watch it yeah what about you sharita when was the first time you had rice and peas, rice we, and peas. okay so <laughs> <laughs> 
Because I'm trying to think, when have I ever had peas in my rice? <laughs> They've always been beans. Um, Listen, Jamaicans. <laughs> food names are just suggestions to us. <laughs> okay, we will call anything what we desire. Um, I would. I mean, I, I couldn't really remember a first time mm -hmm. having it because I we had it so often. Um, but I do remember picking out the peas and the beans because I, I like my rice my rice to be very simple. You know, sugar and butter mostly, but simple. <laughs> and you know, uh, Kadisha. So this is what I was raised as knowing as rice and beans too. Just because like we use pigeon peas for our rice and peas. And we we call it peas and rice. Mm -hmm. So, so um, I think, shoot, I know like growing up, it wasn't always my favorite just because it was always pale in color to the rice that I was used to. Like our rice typically is very dark in color, even darker, like darker than anything here on this plate. Like our rice is very brown. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I think it was something that definitely grew on me over time, so, but but yeah, it's not one of my favorites. Like you can't go wrong. It's definitely the favorite of of my plate. And so for um, you know rice and peas, the usually the recipe for that in Jamaica, uh, growing up, lost many a knuckles. Grater using the grater to 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 grate the coconut, and then you would squeeze it out and squeeze it into the pot and you add your scallions and your thyme and a little bit of seasoning, a scotch bonnet pepper, you know, some butter, you know, and then let that cook and then you add your rice in there. You get that nice flavor of coconut and the peas would have cooked and you would have had that red color to color the rice, right? I can taste my grandmother's rice right now on that wood fire. I don't know, something about wood fire makes the rice taste better, you know? And so uh, growing up, that's how I, I was accustomed to eating um, the, the rice. Uh, what about um, the uh, red beans and rice? Could take a taste of that. Alfred, do you relate it to anything that you have in your and i and i should mention that the the red the rice and peas jamaican that uh, what i was referring to um talking with alfred about was that in ghana they have a rice called wache uh w a a k y e and it's very similar it's like rice and peas but it's like a root that you put in the the pot and it gives it that color and it and then you put in the the beans and it creates you know so um um tantimuni wache was like <laughs> one of my favorites in ghana when i was studying there because it was very similar to what i'd grown up with but the red beans and rice alfred when was the first time you had that Today, it's my first time today is your first time <laughs> <laughs> it actually tastes better than I expected. I I don't like I don't like like soggy rice, so I wasn't really expecting much. But like yeah, it has a lot of flavor. Like yeah, you can taste the sausage in the rice too, and all that. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people because you know African Americans eat their rice in the gumbo. 
and I can't do that either. So I understand what you're saying. I'm, I I don't like the wet rice either. You know, I can't, I can't do wet rice. I don't, I have to eat the soup, and I don't eat it with rice. I've tried to sneak some dumplings sometimes in the gumbo pot because I cannot eat it with rice. What about you, Sharita? This kind of reminded me sort of like gumbo. I was kind of confused when she withheld the, the juice because I was like, how, how, how am I supposed to, what? Still confused because I hear you saying, oh, you have to separate. No, they have to be together. It has to be the right ratio of, of gumbo to rice that just. Really? Oh my gosh, it's perfect. It's perfect, it's perfect. But this, it, that's what it reminds me of, gumbo. Um, I really do like the, um, the sausage uh-huh. that's in it. Um, honestly, that's my favorite part of a gumbo is like the, the, the sausage the sausage and the different meats inside. So yeah, yeah it, was, it was different, I guess. What about you, Khadisha? So tonight was my first time having this kind of rice too. Oh, okay. and, I, and I stand with my Caribbean and African counterparts. <laughs> I, <laughs> I am not used to wet rice <laughs> unless it's like in a soup, like, you know, like unless it's, I'm intentionally eating it in a soup type of deal. So this was, it was different, but I do like the smoky flavor, I will say. So I was pleasantly surprised. All right. Wonderful. Wonderful. And big ups to Nate. Uh, uh, Nate, secondhand smoke, who uh, made this for us this evening. Thank you all so very much for being great audience. Thanks so much for listening to Undisciplined. Our show is hosted by Dr. Karee Banton. A huge thank you to KUAF General Manager Lee Wood for her help with the live recording. And thanks for listening.